so we have a parenting class that's taking place here on Wednesday. Uh, we actually have a stream that we did this past week from our church over in St. Charles County. Uh, several of us got together. We're going to be doing that one more Wednesday this week at 7 o'clock right here. Uh, so if you want to come Wednesday, you say, I'm not a parent. Okay, I'm young. Well, guess what? If you want to be a parent someday or think you might be a parent someday, all of these principles are applicable. Not only that, one of the things people don't understand is that the parenting principles that we talk about from the Bible also apply just to helping people grow spiritually. And all of us as disciples of Christ, we're called to make disciples, we're called to help others. Uh, we can do that by helping them raise up and mature spiritually, and these principles will apply. So all of this is going to help. Um, we're in a series on family here. We're in a series called Family Under Construction. If you're new to the crossings, I want to welcome you. We are really, really glad you're here, and I want you to know you're with a group of people uh, that really love God and, and try to love one another and try to be who God wants us to be for our families and our friends and in our, in our world. And the family is one of the, one of the areas of life where we can have the greatest impact uh, than just about anywhere else, honestly, just because of the relational connection and the time that you get. And today we're going to talk about discipling our kids. And I don't want to get, I don't want you to confuse that word discipling with discipline, two different words. When we say discipling, uh, very clearly we're talking about raising somebody up to be like Jesus. Uh, whenever we um, become Christians, the, the whole point of being a Christian is to try to strive to be more like Jesus in our life. That's being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, if you study the Bible, guys, the word Christian doesn't show up a whole lot in the actual pages of the Bible. It shows up about three times, I think, in the New Testament. The word disciple, over 220 times, different derivatives of it in the New Testament. That was the normal way to describe somebody who was a follower of Christ or someone who was a Christian. And the word itself means a student who's endeavoring to become like their teacher. Whenever we say we're making a disciple or we're discipling someone, we're basically, it's just a way of saying precisely we're teaching them to be like Christ. So we want to teach our kids to be like Christ. Now, uh, you've got some notes in your bulletin if you want to pull those out. It's going to have most of the scriptures we're going to look at on there. Uh, there was a problem back when the prophet Malachi was active in, in Israel. Now, this is a long time ago. This is from the Old Testament. Um, but there was a fellow named Malachi who God sent to speak to his people because they were getting into trouble. Now, in Malachi's day, one of the things that was a problem is that divorce was running rampant. And, and men were just calling for divorces from their wives for no real good reason uh, among the Israelites. And these were, these were supposed to be God's people on earth, right? This was God's representative people on earth at the time. So God was very concerned with their holiness. Whenever they would get out of line, God would send them somebody to correct them. Malachi was sent to correct these guys, I want to read this passage, and then we're going to talk about how this applies to what we're talking about today. Mike, do you mind reading that for us? This is Malachi 2. You were united to your wife by the Lord. In God's wise plan, when you marry, the two of you become one person in his sight. And what, and what does you want? Godly children from your union. Therefore, guard your passions. Keep faith with the wife of your youth. Okay. It's a little snippet there, right? I want to point this out. The problem here is that divorce was running rampant. God, God's instruction to the men who were calling for these divorces is to stop it. And the point of it, he says, what does God want? God wants godly children from your union. He wants godly children from your family, right? This is the point of the family. For in, in terms of how it's presented in the Bible, the point of the family, as it's presented in the Bible, is to help kids connect to God. So, man, what a, that kind of changes things for me a little bit. But that's what God says right here. Now, the problem is their passions were getting out of whack. He says, guard your passions. Well, I don't know exactly how that applied here, but apparently there was some kind of sin that was involved that was driving this need for divorce. And it was driving this. Um, 
it was a result of some kind of selfishness or getting their eye off the ball. The principle, though, is that other things you have a passionate desire for can become a distraction from God's intended purpose. And that's what was happening in these families. There was something that these guys had a passion for that was getting them away from what was God's purpose for them. This can happen to us, and I see this happen in families. For instance, some people are very passionate about education. And so as they're raising their children, the most important thing is for my kid to get a good education. So I'm going to center my life around whatever it takes for them to get straight A's, to get good grades on the SAT, for them to get set up for college or whatever. And you kind of center your life around that. You kind of make that center, which education's good, right? But is it most important, okay? Or another big one is sports. Sports can be something we're very passionate about. How many of you guys in here like sports, okay? How many of you in here played sports? Okay, quite a few. Uh, I loved sports growing up as a kid. Loved it. Played baseball, football, track, all that stuff. Really into it. My dad was even my little league coach, right? But there was a, uh, an understanding that sports was not the most important thing in my life, and it wasn't going to be the most important thing. And I wasn't going to go play AAU ball uh, when I was playing baseball because we had to play on Sundays. My family was like, no, we're not doing that, right? But I see this happen all the time where families can structure their life around sports to the exclusion of everything else. No, I can't be part of the church because I got sports. All right, I can't come to small group. We got a game. I understand missing every once in a while, like, but there, there are people, and it's easy to center your life around this stuff. You guys get what I'm saying, right? You can be passionate about stuff that can get your eye off the ball, sometimes stuff that isn't necessarily bad. My question, I think God's question, is are you as passionate and willing to sacrifice to make sure God is number one in your family as you are for these other things? Because one of these things is not like the other, right? And so discipling your children has got to be a priority. If you, if you want to uh, do this faithfully, you have got to make discipling your kids a priority. First of all, the reasons why, number one, it is a God-given responsibility. It is a God-given responsibility. Now, this is from Ephesians. It says, Fathers... Don't make your children bitter about life. Instead, bring them up in Christian discipline and instruction. This is talking to, to dads about discipline. There's got to be balance in our approach to discipline. And I think in the NIV it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. The idea is you don't want to be uh, so harsh that you turn your kids off to a relationship with you. Now, if you're disciplining the kid's not going to like it, but you need to discipline in such a way where the child understands this is for their good, whether they like it or not, and they shouldn't like it if it's discipline, but they also need to understand your commitment to them and your commitment to loving them. And sometimes, uh, I think dads especially, uh, maybe are more prone to struggle with, with anger or temper or not being as nurturing, and so that's probably why this word is specifically for the fathers. Uh, but you don't want to turn your kids off to a relationship. You want to be Christ-like in your discipline. What I want to draw your attention to is it says, bring them up in Christian discipline and instruction. That's an interesting choice of words there. There's a, there is a godly way to discipline your children. There is an ungodly way to discipline your children. There is a way where you can build relationship in your discipline you can build health into your the lives of your kids. Guys, there's also a way where you can be overly harsh and, and blow it and, and do the opposite. You've got to have balance. Guys, you can be too overbearing as a parent. You can be too passive as a parent, right? You can be so harsh that you, you turn your kids off to even wanting to be around you because they hate you, because you're mean, or you can just let your kids get away with murder. And then they grow up to be little spoiled brats as adults. And it's not good, right? There's balance. You've got to have balance. There's a story in the Old Testament where a, a dad really dropped the ball with this. He had uh, two sons. There's a guy named Eli. If you go read the story of uh, First, Second Samuel, it's the story of Samuel, Saul, David, all those guys. 
Uh, Eli is, is the high priest in the, in the nation of Israel at the time. He had two sons that grew up to be priests as well, and they kind of inherited this priesthood. Eli didn't discipline his boys. He just let them do whatever they wanted to do. They were, they were spoiled as kids. He just didn't discipline them. And then when they got to be a, to adulthood, they continued being themselves, which wasn't good. And so they were like stealing from the temple. Uh, they were doing sacrifices however they wanted. They weren't really listening. They were uh, sleeping with women that came up there. And they were just doing all kinds of stuff that was bad. And the community knew it. And Eli never stepped in to correct his, his kids. And it's interesting because God actually comes and speaks to Eli about this. It, it's interesting he doesn't go speak to the boys. He comes and speaks to Eli about this. And uh, he says in 1 Samuel 3.13, He knew that his sons refused to respect me, and he let them get away with it, even though I said I would punish his family forever. Now this is talking about Eli. What happened is Eli died and his kids died. And his family was under a curse as a result of this. It's directly related to Eli not disciplining his kids. There's a generational curse that is introduced into this family where it hurts Eli, it hurts the kids, and it's going to hurt anybody else that comes because they did not discipline their kids. When we're talking about discipling your kids and, and disciplining Guys, we're talking about raising kids. You need to understand the stakes here. The stakes are you can set your family up for generational blessing or you can set your family up for generational curses based upon how seriously you take this responsibility day to day. It makes a huge, huge difference. And let me tell you guys, there's a huge difference between discipling your kid and taking them to church. Just taking a kid to church isn't discipling them. I'm talking about day-to-day -day life. What does the kid see in your house? What do you talk about to the kid day-to-day? -day? Do you pray with your kid? Do you talk about God with your kid? Or is this something that you, you are involved in, hands-on, in the house, where it's not just something we go to over there, it's something that they see at home? Because we can talk about parenting all day, and we can give you principles all day, but if this stuff isn't modeled at home, it's not going to make a difference. You've got to model it. You've got to show them. And there's a huge difference, guys, between discipling your kid and expecting your youth leader to do it. Which we've got some great youth leaders here. We've got some really good youth leaders. They are involved in the lives of our kids. I'm so grateful. Like, people come over to my house and they grab my children and they go spend time with them. People that I know and love and trust, right? Not just random strangers. Uh, <laughs> People I know and love and trust from the church that are teaching them about Jesus. My son Conrad comes home and he tells me about stuff him and Alameda talk about. You know, Naomi comes home and she doesn't talk at all. Uh, but if I asked her, she would tell me about the stuff Emily talked about. Uh, I love that. Like, I love that. I know, guys, in this church, if, if something were to happen to me, if I were to die, uh, there would be people who would take care of my kids. I know that. But it's my responsibility as their dad to be discipling them at home. It's not Emily and Alameda's responsibility. I appreciate their help. I really do. It's very important to have help. But it's my responsibility. I'm going to be the one held responsible for that. And it's the same for you. You as their parent, you are the number one spiritual influence in your child's life. There is nothing that's going to change that. You are the number one spiritual influence in your child's life. You need to take that seriously. How are you doing with that? And if you want to have godly children, you need to do what Deuteronomy says. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 says, Make the things I'm commanding you today part of who you are. This is God talking. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting together in your home and when you're walking together down the road. Make them the last thing you talk about before you go to bed and the first thing you talk about the next morning. Does that look like your life, right? Do you talk regularly with your children about spiritual things? Do you talk regularly with your children uh, about God and about their relationship with him? The number one thing you have to do as a parent is this. 
This is your number one numero uno responsibility as a parent, is to do this. And guys, if you haven't been doing this, just take this for what it says, change. Like start. You can start today. Make this a priority. Secondly, it's a God-given responsibility. Secondly, it's a God-given opportunity as well. So why should we dis- disciple our kids? Because it's a responsibility. It's also an opportunity. Raising children to fear and serve God is the way to set them up for blessing. It says in Hosea 4.6, My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you have forgotten the laws of your God, I will forget to bless your children. That's not a happy passage, right? But this is, this is a, at a time in Israelites' history, which again, guys, the understanding for the Israelites from the beginning was our number one responsibility is to raise godly children. This was not unclear. God made this clear from the beginning when they started the nation, when he let them out, when he gave them the laws. The number one responsibility is to raise godly children, to have godly families. But then they got off track. And a lot of times you'll see whenever a prophet comes, just about any time a prophet comes in the Old Testament, it was to correct something. And a lot of times the things they were coming to correct that God sent them to say something about had to do with families, a lot of times. And uh, this is one of those times. He's saying, you guys are in trouble because you have neglected talking about God. You have neglected doing what the Bible says. You haven't followed the law. You haven't kept up your end of the bargain, which was you need to be faithful to God. You guys have been doing your own thing. And so as a result, there's going to be some pain that's introduced to get you kind of on this corrective, get back on this course uh, that's going to bless you. And so this is not harsh in the sense of, uh, you know, from God, like he's taking his blessing away forever from them. This is a corrective action where he says, I'm not going to bless you. Well, I'm going to let you experience some pain so that you get back on track. And that's what we see happening in the story of Scripture. He says that they don't know me because they had forgotten. How did that happen? Well, it happened because parents quit talking with their kids at home. Guys, this is so easy to do, but that's what happened to, to these parents people, we've got an opportunity to set our kids up for blessing, though, if we, if we just get them to connect to God. The blessing we reap goes beyond those we see here and now. Uh, this is another principle we get from Scripture. In Psalm 78, it says, God commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even children yet to be born, who in turn would tell their children. This is crazy. Like, I don't just sit around thinking about ancestors that I've had or future descendants that I will have that I will never meet. But this passage right here kind of makes me think about that. Like, when you go to heaven, there's going to be people that you meet that you're related to that you never got to meet here. That either came before you or came after you. And that's kind of like mind-blowing. Do you ever just like, do you ever catch yourself thinking about uh, loved ones dying and you get sad? Like maybe they're still here, but you're like, yeah, they're going to die someday. I think, you know, I think about like my parents sometimes and I'm like, what's that going to be like? That's going to suck when they go. Uh, you know, and other, other people we love that have died, it makes you sad to think about that. But the good news is, It's not forever. Eternity in heaven, guys, you don't die when you're connected to God. You are connected to him for life. And guys, we've got this future where we're going to be able not only to see one another, we're going to be able to see people that came before us, and we're going to get to see people that came after us that love Jesus, and we're all going to get to be together in heaven. How cool is that going to be to be able to go up and high five and, hey, who are you? Where did, what, where did you come from? You know, like in the stories, it's going to be fun. It's going to be something to look forward to. But that reality is only true as long as we're connected to the Lord. Like it's so simple, but it's so easy to just kind of take for granted in our day-to-day lives, I feel like. Um, 
There was a time in David's life where, you know, the story of King David from the Old Testament, he made some really bad choices. And he ended up uh, hooking up with a woman who was married one time. He committed adultery. And to make matters worse, he murdered her husband. He had her husband murdered and covered it up in an attempt to cover up his sin. He was outed, and God didn't stand for that. God sent the, a prophet to speak with David and correct him. And part of the consequences is they lost the baby uh, that was to come. And so Bathsheba uh, miscarried, and the baby died. I'm not sure if the baby had been born. I can't remember now. Uh, but anyway, the baby was very young, and it died. And David had been mourning up to that point because God had told him through Nathan, this is going to happen. As it was unfolding, David was just racked with grief. He spent several days just mourning and crying uh, leading up to this child's death. Um, and then as soon as they got word that the baby had passed away, the servants came and told David, and he had been sitting in there not eating, just crying, weeping, praying. The servants came and said, hey, the, the baby passed away. We're sorry to give you this news. He stops crying. He gets up. He hadn't eaten for a long time. He goes and sits down and has a meal and starts acting normal again. The servants were concerned. They were like, Why? what is going on? And so they go and they're like, David, what's going on with you? His response is interesting. He says, well, now he's dead. Talking about the baby. 2 Samuel 12, 23. So why should I go without eating? Can I bring him back to life again? And then look at what he says. Someday I'll go to him. What's he talking about? He's talking about heaven, right? This is, this is David. Someday I'm going to go to him. But he's not coming back to me. Okay? David had this understanding that even a little baby, a little baby that never had a life, is going to be in heaven. Okay? Guys, even our miscarriages. I know a lot of us in here have miscarried. Our families included, right? You get to see those babies again in heaven. Have you ever thought about that? That baby's not gone. That baby got to bypass all of the crap we have to deal with down here. Who has the better deal, right? You get to see that baby again. Guys, we're talking eternity. When, when, you're, when, you're, when you're with God, man, his, you got to think different than we think about this life. It goes beyond this life. We're talking about eternity. Um, very, very, very important that we disciple our children precisely because we're talking about eternity. The stakes are as high as they can be. Uh, how many of you guys have heard of that book, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Anybody ever heard that book before? Okay. Some of you. There's a guy named Robert Fulgram. Uh, he wrote this book. Uh, actually, it was an essay, I think, in 1985. And it was going through and, and very simply talking about the lessons he learned as a five-year-old and how they were the greatest, most important lessons that he needed to learn in his entire life. And it was things like uh, share everything. Okay. Uh, play fair. Don't hit people. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Um, watch for traffic. Hold hands. Stick together. Like all these just little things you learn in, in kindergarten. He's like, those are the things I needed to get through life. And, he, and it's, it's really profound, really well, well done. Ended up turning it into a book. It became a bestseller. Sold over 7 million copies. But this morning, what I'd like to do is, is take a fulgrimish look at the Lord's Prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that many of us are familiar with. Uh, but I feel like the, the lessons in it are so simple. But if you take what it teaches, if you take the principles that are taught by the Lord's Prayer and the truth behind it, and apply them to your family and discipling your kids... Uh, it's life-changing. It, it, will, it will absolutely bless this generation and generations to come if we'll take this seriously. Um, you could say, everything I need to know about God, I learned in the Lord's Prayer. You could, you could say that and, and uh, get away with it. The Lord's Prayer teaches us seven powerful truths 
that we need to teach our kids. Now, I want to say before we get into that, guys, I mentioned earlier, it's very, very important that you model the right behavior. This is only powerful if it's offered up and lived out. If you pray this prayer, if this prayer is only powerful in your life as long as you're living it out. They've done studies. Uh, there have been several that have been done in the last several years where they've tracked children who grew up in, in Christian households who ended up leaving the faith. They found uh, that the difference often is the behavior of the parents in the household uh, with whether kids leave the faith or not. If you grew up in a home where people were talking about, we love Jesus, we love Jesus, but then what the behavior the kids are seeing at home is the opposite of that, those kids are not going to stick around in terms of sticking with the faith. Uh, if you claim that you love Jesus, but then you know they see you doing things that are very clearly like not okay, uh, that obviously, you know, they know if they've gone to church is, is not okay, um, they're, they're going to walk away. It's, you know, they will respond to hypocrisy. Your kids are going to see your hypocrisy before anybody else does, if you're a parent. Um, and so you've got to be aware of that. One of the things Robert Fulgram said is, uh, don't worry that children never listen to you. Worry that they're always watching you. <laughs> That's what he said. And that's the truth, because they do learn from our examples, don't they? And how we behave is going to influence them. Um, so if we're not living this out, guys, this is not going to make a difference. You've got to live this out. I'm going to read through this prayer in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. It says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Here's some simple lessons that we can draw out of this to teach our kids. First of all, number one. God wants an intimate relationship with you. God wants an intimate relationship with you. Our Father in heaven. Now the word Father, as it relates to God, only shows up in the Old Testament seven times. In the New Testament, over 150 times. The vast majority of them in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus regularly referred to God as Father. Here he teaches his disciples to call God Father. And they did. Now in the Old Testament, God was viewed just as, as creator, as, as almighty, as, as, as other, as unapproachable often. You know, if you look at him, you'll die. You gotta, it's, there's, there's a holiness that the, the Jews had uh, that is lost on us. That, that was good. It's good to think of God as holy, right? Uh, but then Jesus comes along and he gives us a completely new understanding of God where God is, he's still big and he's still powerful and he's still scary, but he's also approachable. He's also relational. And he was in the Old Testament too. I think they just didn't get it sometimes, right? He's relational. Whenever... Uh, Whenever Jesus teaches his disciples to call God Father, implicit in that is he wants you to know that you can have this intimate relationship with him just like a loving father. You can have this intimate relationship with him. Because your children need to know they can have that kind of relationship with God. And not only that, but that's what God desires. He loves them so much. He wants to draw them in close, right? That's good for little kids to know. That's good for big kids to know, like us, right? Uh, he wants an intimate relationship. Because the whole idea of Jesus, why did Jesus come to earth, right? God sent him. God the Father sent him. Why? Because he loves you and he wants to protect you. Jesus came into earth. He died for your sins to give us an opportunity to have connection with God, right? God wants that relationship. Secondly, God's name deserves your honor. God's name deserves your honor. 
In the NIV, it says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed just means holy or worthy of worship, uh, worthy of the highest respect. Uh, I grew up in, in, in Arkansas, uh, just outside of Little Rock, in a little town called Mabelville, kind of out in the country. And I ran around with the neighborhood kids. Uh, there was a great distinction that my mom made sure to point out to me between the way I talked and the way my friends talked. Uh, because they normally and regularly were cussing and doing all kinds of stuff, which I did too. I got in trouble. Um, I could tell you stories. I got caught cussing at my Atari. Some of you guys don't even know what an Atari is. My mom whipped my butt uh, for kicking my Atari and calling it a bad name. Um, So I knew those words, but they would frequently use God's name. And my mom... uh, taught me very early on God's name is different from every other name. God's name is to be treated differently than every other name. Guys, this, uh, in, in, in the Old Testament uh, Hebrew days, whenever they were copying the Bible, um, there was a special class of Jews that would actually transcribe the Scripture. And they, they had a tradition that uh, whenever one of their Old Testament scrolls would start to get faded, uh, they would just destroy it because they didn't want anybody to misunderstand the Word of God. That's how seriously they took it. And they had special classes of Jews that would transcribe, like if they were going to copy an old scroll to make a new one, they would sit and they would, they would copy these things, and they had all these ceremonies they had to go through just to approach the Word of God to copy it. They had to dress a certain way. They had to go through a a cleansing ritual. Uh, They had to pray a series of prayers. Then they had to go and sit down at the table, and they had these different candles and stuff they had to light. And then they would start the copying process. And as they were copying, they had very precise uh, ways of measuring where the text would go on the scroll. And they measured between the letters, and they measured uh, up and down and left to right. And they, they had ways of checking for errors. They had all these different things. Um, so it was a very elaborate kind of process. But anytime they would come to writing the name of God, they would have to stop everything they were doing. They would put all of their material down. They had to go into another room. They had to go through... Uh, uh, where they took, they took their clothes off, they went through a cleansing ritual, they changed into new clothes, they had to go and sit down, then they had to wipe the pen a certain way, they had a series of prayers they had to pray, then they could write the name of God. And then if they had to write the name of God again, the next sentence, guess what they had to do? They had to go through all that again. They had to go through all that again. And so it took a very long time for them to make these scrolls. And uh, I tell you that just to say that's how seriously they took the name of God. Guys, they, when I was taking Hebrew, uh, I had to study Hebrew when I was in college. I had to learn, learn how to read it and write it and all that stuff. My professor would not let us, whenever we were reading the Bible, he would not let us say the name of God in Hebrew. You said the Lord. If you came across the word, you said the Lord. You did not say his name because it was too holy. That was something that he was taught uh, in Jerusalem. From, from those that taught him. That's a tradition that goes back. Guys, whenever, whenever they read the Bible, they didn't say the name of God. Why? Because it was too holy. You did not misuse the name of God. We've got to teach our kids something about the holiness of God. This is one of those things that I think uh, we, we should need to teach them. God's name matters. Um, thirdly, doing what God wants is super important. Very simple lesson, right? Doing what God wants is super important. In Matthew 6, 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Whenever we talk about the kingdom of God, uh, we're talking about, some, some people are saying, was that an earthly kingdom or a heavenly kingdom? The answer is yes, it's both, right? Jesus came and established his kingdom on earth. Jesus is our king. Whenever we talk about uh, what the gospel is, the gospel is the story of how Jesus became king of the universe and how he is presently king of the universe, how he's going to make everything right. And uh, whenever he says here, your kingdom come, this is in your life. 
Whenever, we're, whenever Jesus prays for your kingdom come, just think of the kingdom as the reign of God. Okay? Has God's kingdom come to your life? Is God reigning in your life? Are you submitting to God as your king? Okay? If you are not yet, his kingdom needs to come in your life. Uh, is the world in such a state where it looks like God is king? The answer is no, it's not, right? We need to pray for his kingdom to come because that's when everything's going to be made right. We help God's kingdom. We usher in God's kingdom into the world as we act as God wants us to in the world. We become the hands and feet of Jesus as we're going through life. Uh, there's passage after passage after passage about uh, blessing from God, how you can be blessed by God. You know, we look at Jeremiah 29 a lot. Uh, I know the plans I have for you, plans to bless you, not to curse you, plans to give you hope in the future. Guys, the, the punchline for that is that will occur as we're seeking God with our whole heart. We have to seek him with our whole heart. When we're seeking God with our whole heart, we are living as if Jesus is our king. And as we're living as if Jesus is our king, guys, we are bringing in kingdom values into the world. We are being the hands and feet of Jesus as we treat people the way Jesus would have us treat them and, and love them the way he would have us love them. We're actually ushering in that kingdom. Um, we need to do that ourselves. And we need to help others do that too. Um, and, and God is the king, guys. He's not simply a king. He's the king. If you want to be blessed in life, you must follow the king. You've got to follow the king. Your kids need to know that as they're growing up. The number one job we have as parents is to teach our kids that Jesus is number one. That is it. And that's how they're going to have the best life. Fourthly, God can take care of all of your needs. God can take care of all of your needs. It says in Matthew 6, 11, give us today our daily bread. Uh, now, this may not be a concern for us today. Uh, for the most part, we don't, we don't struggle with food insecurity. Uh, that went up a little bit during the pandemic, I think, anxiety with kids and stuff. But really, honestly, in our country, we're very, very, very wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Uh, in many parts of the world today, uh, they do struggle for daily bread. They struggle for food. Uh, food insecurity is a thing. Back in Jesus' day, food insecurity was a big deal. Daily needs. Guys, they didn't have supermarkets to go to. They, they depended on what they grew or what they... Uh, we're able to attain in the market. Um, and so it was, a, it was a thing. Jesus says to ask God to take care of these needs. He says later in this chapter uh, that if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these needs are going to be taken care of. That's the same, same chapter here. God uh, is our provider. Uh, we need to teach our children that God is our provider. Uh, this is, again, something that... Uh, can be done very effectively just by talking to your kids about what God is doing as you're seeking him in your life. I remember growing up, there were, there were times where we had some rough, rough uh, goes with finances. My dad resigned his job at one time uh, and was unemployed for quite a while. Uh, and I remember there was a bill we couldn't pay, and then a check came in the mail. It was a bill for like, it wasn't even that much money. It was like 36 or something dollars. It was a light bill, but we didn't have the money to pay it. The check came in the mail right before the bill was due that was to the penny the exact amount of the bill. And it was from a book that my mom had written like 10 years prior that she hadn't gotten any royalty checks on. Um, but it was to the penny what she needed. And it was like right then. And I just remember her letting me know that as a little kid. Uh, I was like 12, you know, or 11 or 12. I remember telling the story, though. Like, look at what God has done. She was praising God in front of me. And she was saying, look at what he did. And there were a lot of examples I could give you of things like that. But that's the kind of household that I got to grow up in, uh, is I got to hear things like that. And guys, I still, as an adult, remember it. I still remember it. Do you talk with your kids about these things? Do you celebrate these things? Um, do you... Do you connect having your needs met in your family to the grace and, and goodness of God? You know, if you're seeking God with your whole heart, um, it's, it's very natural to, for that to just be part of the conversation. Uh, fifthly, 
Fifthly, God forgives you, so you must forgive others. God forgives you, so you must forgive others. He says uh, in Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The assumption there is that you are forgiving your debtors. Um, I'm forgiven, therefore I forgive. Uh, I received grace, therefore I give grace. I receive love, therefore I give love. Do you talk with your kids ever about conflicts you've had or interpersonal relational issues that you've had? Have you ever talked with your kids about times that you've really blown it, where you've been unforgiving? Do you, do you speak from your weaknesses in addition to your strengths? Um, does anybody here struggle with unforgiveness? Some of you are liars. It's okay, I forgive you. Uh, yeah, this is one of those things that's tough. That's tough. We got to teach them, right? Uh, six, God will lead you to a good place if you are listening. Matthew 6.13 says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, lead us not into t- temptation, but deliver us from evil. God is leading us in life. One of the things about seeking him, guys, with our whole heart, is he will take us to places that we would never take ourselves. He has blessings in store for us that is lost on us sometimes. We, don't, we can't imagine. Guys, if you, had, if you had told me when I was a kid the roller coaster ride that my life would be and that I would be here at this point, I, I didn't see this coming, okay? Uh, I don't think many people did. But God will lead you to good places as long as you're in step with him. It wasn't terribly long ago that I was horribly addicted to drugs. Uh, Some of you guys know my story, some of you don't. But my whole life revolved around getting high and getting drunk. Like my whole life just revolved around that. And uh, I, you know, I've referenced my family several times and how I grew up in a religious household. I also was molested. Uh, when I was a little bitty kid, and my parents didn't know any of that stuff. There was a pedophile in my neighborhood who molested some kids. They were older and stronger than me. They turned around and did the same thing to me. Uh, I was super-duper messed up from that. And so I felt really, really bad about myself growing up. I felt uh, like I was carrying this darkness around. I had this secret that I wasn't going to tell anybody. Uh, I just felt like I was worthless, and that's what abuse does to you. It makes you feel worthless. It makes you feel unwanted. Uh, It makes you feel like you're especially bad uh, over everybody else. And so I grew up with all these feelings inside, and as a teen, I was just really messed up. I started self-medicating with drugs when I was about 15. Uh, That got worse and worse the older I got. Uh, By the time I was in my early 20s, I was absolutely a wreck. I was doing cocaine, I was doing pills, I was taking ecstasy, uh, I was doing whatever, like I was pushing the limits. I, it was getting dangerous uh, in terms of I, I could die with the level of usage that I'm going to. And all of my friends did the same thing. Like the people that I ran around with, they were all into the same stuff. We had our little group of friends. That's all we did uh, was get high and get drunk. And uh I still thought about God at that time in my life. Like, I still remembered the stuff that my parents had taught me. I just thought it was, I thought it was a fairy tale. I thought it was a myth. I really didn't believe any of this stuff was true. Intellectually, I had a really hard time uh, even giving that uh, any kind of serious go. But this story, I wanted to believe it. Like, I really wanted to. My mom and my dad taught me there's a God who loves you and he's good. And if, if you run to him, he's always going to have the door open to you. I really wanted to believe that because life got really bad. Got really bad there for a while. And I'll tell you, 
it is such a good thing that my parents instilled this truth in me because when I finally hit rock bottom, uh, I didn't know if it was true or not, but I knew if any of the stuff mom told me is true about this God guy, if he's real, he's going to take me back. And not only is he going to take me back, if I just start following him, he's going to lead me to a good place. Man, isn't it good, though, that she, she really hammered that into me as a kid? Because uh, I eventually did hit rock bottom. And some things happened in my life that called me, caused me to believe in God um, very strongly, where it wasn't maybe. It's, okay, this is real. And guess what, man? I ran back to him, and he led me to a good place. He's led me to a really good place. He's given me so many blessings that I, can, I just take them for granted, I feel like now. Uh, but it's, it's true. And I knew where to run because my mom taught me and my dad taught me. I knew where to run because they took advantage of that opportunity. And this seventh one, this last one, is also a big one that I have held on to and that you should too. Seven. There's more to your life than the here and now. There is more to your life than the here and now. Matthew 6, 13, the very last part says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That word forever shows up again. This prayer begins with forever and it ends with forever. Forever is a hard concept to grasp. You ask, when does forever end? Well, it doesn't. Okay, well, that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. It just keeps going and doesn't stop. Yes, that's forever. That's what you get to live in, in eternity with God. Um, it is really sad when we lose loved ones. It's sad for the lost, but guys, if they died in Jesus, we didn't really lose them. We get to see them again. What a great truth to pass on to your children. To know, you know, and one of the things that um, I'm, I'm really, really blessed by, it, that I have a mom and a dad that love Jesus Christ. And I've got a mom and a dad that I know love Jesus Christ because I've seen the way they live. And I've seen how they live it out. And guess what? My mom and my dad are not perfect. There are times when growing up, even though I grew up in a Christian household, there were times they really blew it. They really blew it. They really made some mistakes, and I did too. But guess what? I know they loved the Lord, and I know they love me, and they've given me so much grace, I'm very happy to give them grace right back uh, for when they've blown it. But I was talking with my dad at a funeral not terribly long ago. We have a dear friend named Barbara Bowman that passed away, and uh, I got to listen as my dad got up and he just talked about Barbara and her love for Jesus. And he was just telling, telling the crowd what we all knew was true. This woman was a righteous woman. You guys hear me talk about uh, the rehab down in Arkansas, right? The 317 where all, we, all the ladies and stuff go. Uh, this is one of the ladies that was uh, involved in that. And, and she was uh, kind of the matriarch at this church down there. Uh, her husband is one of the elders. Really, really good family. But he got up and shared at this funeral and just talked about Jesus, talked about the resurrection, talked about how Barbara's laid up in this casket, uh, but she's not really there. Like, she's with God in heaven, and we get to see her again someday. And then he came and sat down next to me, and he looked at me, and he said, I want you to say something similar over my casket someday. I'm like, okay, well, thanks, Dad, for that morbid comment at a funeral. <laughs> But he meant it. He's like, I want, he, my, my mom and my dad want nothing more than for our family to know they love Jesus and that that's what they think is the most important thing in their life. And that's what they want us kids to know is, should be the most important thing in our life. You, know, you want to know what your responsibility as a parent is? That. You make sure your kids know that Jesus is the most important thing in, in life, should be the most important thing in their life, and then you show them through your behavior that it's the most important thing in your life. But if you get up and you say that, 
and then they see something different at home, your words are not going to matter. And there are, guys, there are many of my friends, many of my friends that grew up in households where they were hearing Jesus is the most important thing, but then the behavior they were seeing was a lot different. And guys, they're not, they're not connected to him today as a result. The way you act at home matters. Your words have got to match up with uh, what you're saying. So um, we're going to go ahead and wrap up today. Uh, guys, I'm incredibly exhausted. I haven't slept for the last couple of days, so if I'm a little down today, that's what's going on. <laughs> Please pray for me. I cannot sleep for some reason. Um, we're going to wrap, though. If, if uh, you got a cardstock piece of paper in your bulletin, if you want to pull those out, uh, it's got uh, spaces there for you to put your information down. Uh, I want to invite you to connect today. If, if you are just visiting the crossings, you're with a group of people that love Jesus and they love you. You just don't know it yet. So you need to give them an opportunity to do it. Uh, I want to encourage you to make a friend today if, uh, if you're visiting here. There's a lot of ways to do that. Uh, you can go out to lunch with somebody. You can connect with somebody and go get coffee. Uh, you can do, uh, go to the movies or whatever. Uh, several of our adult groups are meeting today. I know uh, our group's meeting at my house, and we're going to have lunch and stuff. If you're an adult, you are welcome to check that out. But guys, we've got stuff for all ages. Uh, we've got stuff for teens. We've got stuff for college students, kids, everything else. Uh, we would love to get you connected. The main thing that God works through is relationship. Like if you want to get right with God, if you want to uh, work on your relationship with God, or if you've just got some questions about God, if you're not sure uh, about this, man, the way he works is, is through friendships. Make a friend with somebody that maybe is a little bit further down the road than you are, and just ask them some questions. Have a conversation with them. If you're unsure that God exists, welcome to the crossings. Uh, I know what that feels like, right? Um, it's, man, there's some really compelling evidence and things to look at. If you just want to talk with someone, maybe you, you feel like you're not right with God, check on your card that you'd like a personal Bible study uh, and, and let, let a couple of our folks come and talk with you about that. Um, and that's Sounds formal. It's really not, guys. You'll make a friend. Trust me. This is an easy place to make friends. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song that's going to give you an opportunity to fill that card out while we're singing that song. After the first song, we'll sing a second one, and during that, we'll pass some baskets. You can put your card in that basket. Uh, I do want to encourage you to fill that out, and again, make a friend. Try to make a friend today. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing. Uh, God, thank you for today. Thank you for, um, thank you for caring about families, Lord, and for being patient with us. We come from different backgrounds and different places and different experiences. God, sometimes um, we preach a message like this and, uh, you know, if someone has been struggling, something like this can make them feel guilty. Uh, God, guilt is only good if it leads to change. And so I pray for change today. Uh, I pray for repentance. I pray that uh, we will understand that the greatest life we can have, the best quality, best life is wrapped up in a relationship with you. And if there's anything we need to do today to work on that, help us to take the action to do it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.